0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to Episode 98 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with James Young, the Chief Learning Officer at SCUP, the Society for College and University Planning. Before we turn to the interview though, we want to thank your membership, the podcast sponsor for the third quarter of 2017. Your membership's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. Your membership's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com.
0: For our resource for this episode, we want to highlight the Tagoras Platform Directory for Learning Businesses. As some of you listeners may know, we have for many years published a report on association learning management systems. Well, we retired that report last year, and we've now introduced the platform directory as the new way that we're providing information for organizations seeking to find and implement a learning technology platform. This is a free resource and it profiles 30 different companies that are a good fit for trade and professional associations as well as other learning businesses. You can access that directory by going to tagoras.com learning platforms, but we'll also have a link to that directory in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com episode 98.
1: And I know I'm excited that we've launched the the platform directory, and I certainly hope that listeners will check that out. I'm also excited, though, that you got to talk to a bona fide chief learning officer for this episode of the show.
0: That's right. Uh, this conversation with James Young continues our CLO series here on Leading Learning. And Jim and I talked about the path that led him to become a chief learning officer. As he noted, CLO wasn't a job title he was aware of uh, when he was a boy, and yet it's been a really good fit for him professionally. As CLO, he sees himself as chief strategist, so really the owner of the vision for change at the organization. And he also describes himself as an expert generalist, which is a term I really like a lot, expert generalist. He's been CLO at Scup for about three and a half years at this point, and he's spent that time translating market knowledge and research into what learners need. And he's focused a lot on a choice architecture, which is uh, both the back end and the front end. And um, he has a, a, a chief information officer role as well in his past. So you know he can think in terms of both that back end and the front end, and he really believes that choice architecture is important because learners uh, need to have choice. So SCUP right now is, is really in a period of active development around its learning. And, and Jim talks in this interview about the finesse that it can take to make big change happen when, when sometimes the timeline for execution can, can feel really slow.
1: Well, I love it that he notes that uh, CLO was was not a title that he was familiar with when he was young. I think it'll be a great day for the learning world when someone goes into career day at uh, first grade or kindergarten and somebody pipes up and says, I want to be a chief learning officer when I grow up. So in the meantime, though, let's go ahead and roll what I'm sure is a great interview with James Young.
0: I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by James Young. Jim is the Chief Learning Officer at SCUP, the Society for College and University Planning. Jim, thanks for making time for the Leading Learning Podcast.
2: Thank you, Salisa. I really appreciate you um, reaching out to me. Thank you.
0: And since I offered only a very brief introduction, um, would you start things off by saying a bit more about the Society for College and University Planning, who SCUP serves, and, and how you serve them?
2: Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Um, SCUP is a professional association. Uh, we were founded about 50 years ago, mid-60s. Um, we originally had a mission of connecting and serving leaders in higher education campus planning. And for us, that translates to uh, folks who are in architecture, people who are in capital planning, um, landscape architects, designers, space planners, um, folks who uh, envision and translate what we call uh, the physical manifestation of the institutional mission. These these folks are connectors. That's who founded our institution, our uh, association. And We've since evolved into an organization that draws planners uh, from all planning domains in higher ed. So we draw academics, academic planners, resource and budget people, people who are in um, institutional research, which is the people who um, run numbers and do quantitative research for campuses, information technology, libraries, advancement. Um, we are really a learning community um, of, um, with the central vehicle of planning. So we're not united by what we call integrated planning. And this is built off the notion that um, approaching problems is, is best together across rich organizational boundaries. So that's kind of the heart and soul of who we are, but also our value proposition. We like to think of ourselves as higher eds dot connectors. So we have several product lines um, that most folks in associations will recognize. Membership, um, lot, lots of content, books, articles, full complement of events. Uh, we're pretty deep into social media. We dabble into really interesting, innovative um, um, social experience we've done, in the social experiments we've done in the last few years. And our emphasis over the past three years has been an emergent professional learning program, which I'll, I'll get into probably later in the interview. A couple of other quick thoughts. Um, we have about 5,000 members, and that is a leading metric in associations, although um, we're currently trying to devise and measure new ways of engaging with our association. Uh, we view our job as, as meeting our members um, and, and, frankly, folks who don't want membership, uh, where they are. So, after all, we are an association of planners. So, of late, our central question has been, uh, how do we design an organization that meets the needs of the future learner? That's kind of been our central question as we have developed and executed on our um, current strategic plan, which we're we're still in the middle of. Um, How do we design an organization that can evolve and become um, more agile. And uh, the, the quick questions I have um, that, that help us drive at the sub questions would be how do, how do we help institutions respond to complexity? How do we help institutions respond to change and uncertainty? And what do we need to do uh, to shift an organization uh, that serves planners in verticals, so people um, in their particular job area and their particular uh, professional perspective? into an uh, organization that serves um, everyone as a planner, which we we really believe is um, the heart and soul um, of the future of our organization.
0: Well, that sounds great, especially those first two questions uh, seem to really apply to to all uh, associations at this point. And then that that third one obviously gets a little more specific to who you serve, but I still even think that one sort of tweaked probably is applicable to others. So you've, you mentioned in there kind of at some point you were talking about sort of over the last few years. And, and my understanding is that you've been uh, the chief learning officer at SCOP for about three and a half years at this point. And I think, too, that this is your first CLO role. So I'd be interested to hear a little bit about your background and the path that led you to this current CLO role.
2: Um, sure, uh, I would love to answer that. First of all, I think I have the greatest title in in the world. I think it's uh, very fitting of not just um, innovation, but also um, what I care about and um, what our particular organization needs. And I, uh, I also think that's applicable to to other organizations. So until about three years ago, I was in. I spent the entirety of my career in higher ed. Um, so I'm have a very very interdisciplinary background. Uh, with significant threads in in libraries, learning, technology, and what I think differentiates me is uh, entrepreneurship, uh, which is not not a phrase you often hear in higher ed. There's lots of <laughs> entrepreneurship, but it's pocketed. Um, but I have you know, founded lots of different um, departments, organizations, and I was the founding chief information officer of a startup university. So there's a bit of gives me a perspective that's that's rich and frankly um, defines my career as one in which I'm super conversant at crossing boundaries. Um, so the design of my career is I think in retrospect, uh, even, even using words that I wouldn't have recognized when I was younger, um, I view um, uh, my career as I'm, I'm a student of integration. Mm. And what I mean by that, um, which I, I view integration as really the timeless imperative of the 21st century professional, and I think it will even out, outlast me. Uh, how do we understand and navigate um, institutional and organizational boundaries? And when I say institutional, I'm talking about higher ed, that's uh, what I mean there. Uh, how do we uh, transcend disciplinary or domain boundaries, people with different expertise who speak different languages, people from different industries, geographic boundaries? How do we navigate boundaries across diverse stakeholders and ideas? So. Uh, My career has been, by design and through experience, I've always sought out interesting experiences that kind of put me in the center of the innovation conversation, and the concept of integration has been driving that. So the phrase I I think of on my journey to chief learning officer is expert generalist.
0: Mm.
2: What I mean by that is I'm proud that I have pretty deep expertise in lots of different areas. Um, But I'm not, I don't consider myself a dilettante. Uh, A friend of mine used to call this like serial questioning. Um, How does one become um, multilingual, Um, multilingual meaning not you can speak um, multiple foreign languages, although I truly value that. It's how do you, are you able to speak to lots of different diverse, rich stakeholders engaged in change conversations and even folks um, averse to change conversations so that we can build bridges together um, through um, authenticity and and care and and empathy. Um, I I just think it's been a design in which it's easier to see patterns quicker and make make connections and build bridges. So as chief learning officer um, over my, I think, 25 year career now, in in some ways it's um, a synthesis of my past experiences in other ways, it signifies the the launching the, the launching point for for the remainder of my career. I'm still I'm still young. Um, the CLOs are not um, deep experts, in my opinion. And what I mean by deep expert is more narrow expert. I probably would consider myself a deep expert, but more of a uh, expert generalist. Like I said, uh, my job is really to be a deep learner. And I think that I've designed my career. Uh, to do that, and that makes me um, somewhat somewhat rare, y- unique, but also kind of a quick learner. I can enter into lots of different situations and um, come up to speed pretty quickly. A um, couple of quick thoughts. Um, learning to me, I'll come back around to the title, It, it is preparedness. Mm-hmm. Learning is readiness, and this really gets at the heart of what we're designing here at SCUP, and one final thought um i'm a planner and this is what our organization does and we think that that phrase planning or planner has a little bit of an image problem mm-hmm. but we link that to um um innovation and it, if anything i've been evangelizing the notion of planning throughout my career it's um it's truly an ind- indispensable core competency that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, often don't have time or the capacity to to engage with richly.
0: Well, you offered a lot of, of great thoughts there, and, and so I have a, a few follow-up questions. I mean, one is, is uh, you know, as you look back over your career that landed you in this current CLO role, I mean, w- was it a conscious effort? I mean, did you imagine at some point, you know, chief learning officer is what I want to be? Or was it more of a sort of a um, circumstances led you that way? Both. Uh-huh. I,
2: um, my first job after I got my, ma- my first professional job in the early 90s after I got my master's degree at uh, the University of Michigan, um, something r- really early on um, drew me to newly created roles new organizations organizations that um, were thinking differently Wanted to. back then it was when the internet went technicolor so early 90s was well how do we re-envision um, libraries using information technology how do we rethink the organization identity and the function of how a library works um, so in some ways I would say it's absolutely by design because I've always sought out what is most important about learning, which is putting yourself in um, new context and new situations, applying what you've learned from the past, not as a template and as law, but as a way to apply it to, to create n- new conversations and new landscapes and new relationships. So both in some ways. I didn't right. know the title would have existed when I was a young man. Right. But now that I'm in it, it's um, I'm surprised I don't, Hear it often enough in a university would be probably your chief academic officer, your provost, and I I don't, uh, for a minute, say that I'm a a provost, but I would be the equivalent of one for a small boutique um, association, and and in other organizations, it's aligned often with talent management, and um, you know how, how do you navigate, you know, HR functions, none of which I I do here at SCOF. It's more linked to innovation and strategy and uh, long-term planning.
0: Right. Well, And, you know, it's definitely true in my experience, too, that the the CLO role isn't very common at associations, and and we've collected some data for the Tagoras Association Learning Plus Technology report, and that shows about a third of associations have a CLO or, or similar kind of executive role with, with a focus on learning. Um, you know, I, I, obviously, you came from kind of higher ed and and landed at Scup. But you know, any thoughts or kind of pr- your perspective on why you think it isn't a, a more popular, a more common role a, a among associations?
2: Um, good, good question. Uh, until about three years ago, I wasn't super familiar. With associations from from an inside perspective, I've been engaged in in lots of really interesting associations throughout my career. Um, I, I love the title, and it and it couldn't be more germane um, to use to get organizations to be thinking more creatively about design and in innovation as um, cultural hallmarks for the future. Uh, to me, it's it, it's in evergreen competency and it's, it's something that um, truly is uh, a timeless imperative learning. Um, right. why, why the actual title doesn't resonate I, I'm not exactly sure it's not like we're taking a risk like um, folks in Silicon Valley and technology companies where they create chief people officer and they uh, you know, we're fond of, of that here at SCUP but we also want people to recognize what we're about Uh, So, in some ways, um, this signifies an investment in learning, and it underscores who we are as an organization. Um, So, I don't know exactly, you know, I can't speak to the broader trend.
0: Right. And, you know, and and I think you're starting to get into it, but maybe if you would talk a little bit more about what it means to you to be a chief learning officer, since you can speak to that, you know, and, and when you think about leading learning at the Society for College and University Planning, you know, what, what shape does that take? What, what do you think about?
2: Well, I'll start that by saying, um, was, I listened to a, a president who I really like at a university down in, in Florida, and he had been at the university upward to 20 years now. And when I saw him spoke, he'd been there about 15 years, and he would say, I've been three different types of presidents in 15 <laughs> years. And I, and I thought about that, and that's actually true for me and for us here at SCUP. What I mean by that, at this stage in our history, I, you would consider me a chief strategist. Um, so people would, would respond as they always have in SCUP. It's a really sound community. People are very engaged. There's a lot of collective care. Where are the new products Jim and I would say, if anything, we have um, a lot of new product ideas. Our ability to execute on them in the short run is not strong. We are designing our organization um, to be strategic. We're designing it for um, the long haul. We're designing it for diverse revenue, and like I said earlier, we're designing it for uh, the future learner. Who is the future learner? How do we design an organization to meet their needs? Which is In some ways, a provocative question, but it is compelling and it draws people into um, a change conversation. Um, So we are, ironically, for a planning organization, we're becoming strategic for the first time. Mm. So we're in investment mode, and I think I can lend some thoughts that I think are transferable to your audience. So I lead strategy building and deep dives into things like... um, Understanding what planners want and need uh, much more specifically than what we've known in the past. What's going on in higher ed that people need help um, solving? How can we uh, understand, define, and grapple with these problems together across boundaries using new models or frameworks or technology tools? How do we build an infrastructure and culture in which learners have choice? That's an absolute thread to my um aims the first five years in my my role here at at scup and when i say choice uh we want to build off this market knowledge and the relationships that we have with our customers and our members and to build this infrastructure and culture in which they will have maximum choice to help um solve their problems (laughs) Uh, embedding content experiences and people into the lifeblood of one's day-to-day work life what i mean by that that's jargony People need practical tools to solve problems. If we've learned anything about what planners want, um, it's really in that sweet spot. How does an association that has historically been designed to deliver events, and we're very good at that, uh, pivot itself to turn into an organization that um, not just helps and supports but leads conversations in helping us understand together across boundaries how to uh, solve pretty complex pretty intractable culturally bound problems in higher ed. There's, um, depending on what news source you read, depending on what your political leanings are, uh, without a doubt, um, we're in a fairly tumultuous period. What are we as, um, learners and planners? How can we, uh, contribute to a, a really robust change conversation in, you know, driving thought leadership, mm. So, a couple other quick thoughts, and then if I, I don't know if I've gotten off your question a little bit. Um, so, practical application and applied learning, um, assisting institutions, colleges, and universities with foresight and vision, um, doing something that most institutions are weak at long range planning. Um, uh, all organizations struggle with um, looking out uh, 10 years or five years. Um, Because we're an association, um, we focus on building what we call a culture of shared value creation. And what we mean by that is how and what ways can we engage volunteers in new ways um, as we evolve a, a fairly traditional membership model, as we evolve and take robust engagement, often bound in events and make it durable across the boundaries of the entire association? What tools do we need? What cultural frameworks do we need? What what staff do we need here, professional staff do we need in our office to help us do that well? Mm. In large part, I think of um, our work at a professional association serving higher ed as um, translation work. Hmm. How do we translate um, problems pretty complex problems. How do we help people navigate fairly complex organizational structures in higher ed um, through new engagement modalities? And again, our, uh, as I've said multiple times, our our central value proposition is across boundaries through the notion, notion of integration.
0: So, so that's great. It's a great sense of kind of what you're focusing on, what's driving, um, where you're going. So maybe... Um, if you would, could you tell us a little bit more about kind of what types of learning you're currently offering and kind of based then on this work that you're doing and this um, kind of market knowledge and this idea of learners having choice, you know, what, what are your ideas for the future? Where are you trying to go and grow um, w- with learning down the road?
2: Sure. Um, we um, still fairly traditionally pitched. Most, most people, as I, I think I said earlier, would, would recognize us as uh, offering uh fairly traditional organizational fair. Um, our unique value proposition, as I've explained, is uh, integrated planning for higher education, uh, uh, higher education audience. Um, we've been events-driven for nearly the entirety of the organization. We've always had a journal. We've always published books. We do social media. We're always ready to engage in uh, some of the latest tools. Where we've been emphasizing in our vehicle for change over the past three years, and I'm deliberate when I say vehicle for change, because it presently sounds like a product line, but we're using it as an incubator for how to innovate learning throughout the the product lines. Is something we call the Planning Institute. And the Planning Institute will emerge over time as the space in which we are um, building capacity. In the back end, what we call a product platform, how are we able to take what is traditionally known as five days, 40 hours of coursework over the course of a year in which you get a certificate at the end, not a certification, you get a certificate of completion, and unbundle those. Um, we've basically taken the curriculum. It wasn't a curriculum when I, when I started. and put it in modular format. It's still taught face-to-face, but the long-term design is to build up what is currently 45 modules of content upwards to 200 to 300 modules of content to take this intimate market knowledge that we're gaining on the larger problems people are struggling with in higher ed, but also their specific needs at their institutions and in their uh, day-to-day departments, and linking that to creating a platform that will allow people to engage in ways that we've never really Engage with before, which is continuing to do in person workshops, which are popular but are, have a limited reach and are fairly rigid business model, um, to a hybrid approach. Um, we believe planners do want to engage together across boundaries. Uh, people want that and that fits our vision. But what does it look like for them to engage online in new ways? And how do we create and extend a tool set? For practical application, so when people are looking for something to help them solve a planning problem in the short run, which, frankly, is how most planners operate, most people don't have <laughs> luxury or time to, to, to do the foresight, you know, that's the core competency that we push, most people are what we call hot potato planners. How do we develop and design an organization to support um, the full range of planning activities? So we are building what we're calling a choice architecture and the choice architecture will span the entirety of the um, product portfolio, but is currently um, embedded as an incubator in the planning Institute. While we do a couple of things that are really important. Um, I haven't mentioned it yet, but one of the core strategic initiatives I'm leading is something called organizational identity. And that is really two things kind of mashed up together. It's a, um, the organizational strategy, which is driven by the board but is realized through my office, and brand identity. And merge those two things, um, to us, to me, um, is really key to creating um, a singular, indisputable, clear, unique value proposition for why um, people will engage with Scup over time. So that's in the background, but it's linked to this notion of how do we develop a choice architecture? And when I say architecture, I'm talking about the back end, back to my uh, uh, CIO years. Right. Uh, I'm also talking about the front end and what does it mean to engage um, across boundaries, if you like, face-to-face uh, events, which, again, we we succeed in, but I think the, the, the market has, has has tapped out. Um, What does engagement look like for younger planners? What does it look like for people who um, are really strong at IT and business continuity and security but struggle with long-range planning? How do we gain enough individual market intelligence about our customers and members to connect them in new ways, uh, to solve problems with people they wouldn't have otherwise met? Well, that's... So fairly general there, but that's um, we're in uh, we're in investment mode right now, and things will start to execute by fall of eighteen, in a way that our members and customers will see a lot of their input start to be realized in uh, n- new tool sets, a uh, clarified organizational identity, uh, huge investment in information technology, which is currently a deficit.
0: Well, no, that's that's really great and really helpful, and I like especially what you were saying, too, about, you know, this is uh, the vehicle for change as opposed to the change, and that you're very conscious of this fact that you're in this sort of transition period and really building up towards something, which is is important to recognize that often, you know, we we want to be somewhere further down the road than we are, and, and it's hard, though, to... To teleport ourselves to that future point, we have to kind of cover the road in between to get there. And it sounds like you guys are making great strides in getting towards that goal. And yeah, so, I wanted
2: to, oh, I'm sorry. I no, just wanted to quickly interject in the middle of your, your question there. Um, that's really the challenge, even for an organization of planners, an organization of, you know, of volunteer leaders who are professional planners, is navigating short term real need impatient you know, short term real need you know, keep the business going, keep the the current product lines going and and, and we and we're doing fine, um, but and then all impatience at the, the pace of change, impatience at um, reaching the vision which is 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 still on the horizon, and that 's what planners do and the question we pose to ourselves I think is germane is um, does the present inform the future or does the future inform the present mm. and that usually um, helps to write the conversation whether it's at the board level or one of our um, committees or councils or even in-house so that we stay together um, and achieve um, growth through focus which is I think a struggle for all organizations not just associations or universities even even uh, corporate environments so a dose of impatience and sense of urgency is is uh indisputably important uh but to put that in the framework of, of where we're going together is where the magic happens i think
0: yeah right that balancing between the the, the right the uh, impatience to get things done and then the reality <laughs> it takes time to get those things done um, right. <laughs> so you've been talking a lot about what what Scup is up to which is is great and very i think interesting uh, but i'd like to ask you to to pick up and think a little more broadly for a minute and just, you know, let us know in terms of what's going on with, with learning um, in general um, these days, you know, what do you find most exciting? Um, and, and actually, maybe it is something that's the part of what you're doing at, at SCUP, but also on the broader kind of, you know, uh, learning landscape, it might be something outside of SCUP, but, you know, any, any trends or changes that are particularly exciting?
2: I'm finding in the adult learning space, and, and this does build up several things I've mentioned, um, people want practical knowledge to help them solve problems. They want uh, the ability to apply what they've learned um, to help them solve problems across so they, so they understand something in finance and it might help them solve a problem in a different, completely different domain, a different type of problem. I'm finding, and this is pretty generally pitched, but I think it's uh, important here, uh, people want to engage. Um, there are some learners out there who, who really, their, their learning style uh, favors more reading and more passive consumption and watching. I'm finding our learners um, uh, want to engage, they want to, they want to grapple, there's a certain iterative sense, a certain reinforcement. Um, and how that works. And for us, that means across modalities, across delivery modalities, not just in a face-to-face, but how do we extend a conversation um, in, in domains once people leave, um, leave a conference or leave a workshop. Um, huge trend that I think smaller organizations struggle with, but I think it's indisputable. How do we translate what we know about our markets. How do we use data in more creative ways um, to inform learning in real time? Um, How do we use data to pivot as organizations? How do we design an organization so that pivoting is possible? Um, I'm finding even an organization our size needs to invest in not just the resources and the standards and the practices, but also the questions around uh, collecting data, ensuring we have um, feedback, feedback loops of different time horizons, immediate ones, longer-term ones, um, kind of short, short-range ones, so we know how well we're doing, but we can also respond to our learners' needs quicker and more accurately. Um I guess finally, and I guess this is probably synthesizing a lot of the points I've made. What what does it look like to create an extended learning community mm. in an association? And what does a uh, what does life cycle learning look like in an association? Um, we're really digging deeply into that into that problem at SCUP and we think that's applicable um, across organizations because it allows you to use a lot of the tools uh, to track um, uh, behaviors, aggregated behaviors of your users, um, but it also allows you to think about tying together marketing membership and uh, the learning function in ways that we sometimes think of them as separate pass-off relationships. So what is that durable life cycle of learning look like and how does one create a um, multimodal learning community in an association. Those to us are um, helping us to think about not how to run an association like an association, but how to evolve an association so that the, the organization itself is agile and can uh, stay true to itself while also um, pivoting as, as, as uh, the world continues to change. So global, global stuff. I don't have specific tools for you. This obviously is reflecting um, our current focus, which is um, um, modernizing and and, and transforming uh, our association.
0: Right, but I think, right, that focus on that life cycle learning that, you know, where you have that extended um, relationship, long-term relationships with the individual and then pairing that with that, extended learning community where they're also in conversation with each other. Both of those seem like uh, amazing opportunities, um, if we can figure out how to unlock them.
2: Um, well, right. It's, a, it's, it's less, um, here we have menus of things that you can engage with, than it is providing frameworks to navigate those, the content and the experiences and the relationships. And for us, it's that elusive framework that is probably invisible and in the background to our learner community. Um, but it's something that really kind of drives an intentionality, and uh, what 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 better place than an association to um, engage meaningfully with your your members and your and your customers? Um, back to that that notion of shared value creation. I think that's kind of at the crux of of uh, our transformation journey.
0: Absolutely. So the next to last question, um, and this is one we like to ask everyone who. Um comes on the Leading Learning Podcast, and it's just about, you know, talk a little bit about how you approach your own lifelong learning. There you are with that CLO title. I'm assuming, you know, uh, keeping up your own learning is important. So tell us how you do it.
2: Um, some obvious things and some not so obvious things. So uh, I'm an expert generalist, like I say, so I'm a, a dabbler. So I read and listen deeply and broadly. Um read um, uh, traditional news sources like the New York Times, um, social media feeds, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, really, I listen to podcasts because I find that's a kind of a nook and cranny learning that I can get in when I'm walking or uh, commuting, um, doing the dishes, you know, putting the kids to bed. There's lots of different ways you can uh, fit in a podcast uh, just with a phone in your pocket. Um, one couldn't tell by listening to this podcast I, I push myself to dabble outside my expertise all the time and that pushes me into a, a professional learning mode in a maybe non-traditional way um, I learn something small and practical each year and so I set myself personal goals on what, what might stretch me um, open myself up to new perspectives um, my wife and I do this through you know, non-touristy travel and exploration. Um, I have a couple of other quick thoughts. Um, a philosophy I've always had, um, I've always believed that traversing new landscapes, that by traversing new landscapes, we learn more about our homes and our communities and our neighbors, and um, it bridges our difference. And the only other thing I would say about my professional learning journey um, is I, my wife and I are really intentional about trying to understand and appreciate the world through our kids' eyes, It's which, if anything, um, as we um, and age and have different perspectives, we kind of forget what it means to be a child. Mm. And why I say that and why it's important is uh, I studied this uh, from a dissertation 10, 15 years ago. Um, I basically studied um, how one becomes an expert in a s- sociocultural environment. And um, it, you, when you become an expert, you forget what it means to be a novice. Mm-hmm. You forget what it means to be a learner, and your uh, language becomes jargony, and you become inaccessible. And so the, this notion of trying to see the world through your kid's eyes, our kids are seven and nine, um, is especially relevant because we've forgotten what it means to be seven and nine.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: um, that's part of our, our our learning journey. Mine is almost always about... Um, Long to be challenged
0: mm.
2: that's to me what, what what learning is
0: well I, I certainly love the idea of, of travel as being important to learning. I, I love to travel and um, and to really try to dig down and get to know a, a place um, for a little bit of right. time and I also agree about uh, children I have a ten year old and a six year old and they are yes constantly <laughs> <laughs> reminding me of uh, things I have forgotten or things I never knew for that matter but
2: Oh, right. I mean, to me, you know, it's a metaphor, but it's also something, uh, there's an intentionality there that, that even we just struggle being present, you know, normal things that parents would, would struggle with no less as, uh, thinking of it as perspective making or, uh, perspective taking.
0: Mm. All right. Well, so last question, Jim, which is if folks would like to know more about SCUP, um, where would you have them go? And, and to the extent that you're open to it, you know, how can they connect with you?
2: I'm um, sure. Um, we have a website that um, will be completely re engineered in about a year, but right now it is scup.org, S-C-U-P.org. Um, it's still going to be scup.org in a year. Um, our Twitter feed is Plan 4, the number 4, Plan 4 Higher Ed. And I'd be happy to engage over email. And my email address is james.young at scup.org.
0: Well, great. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Jim. I appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. I appreciate you inviting me. Take care of yourself.
1: That wraps up our interview with Jim Young. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks again to your membership. You can find out more about your membership and all it offers at yourmembership.com.
0: To get show notes for this episode, which includes a link to the Tagora's platform directory for learning businesses, where you can get profiles of more than 30 different learning platforms, simply go to leadinglearning.com episode 98. And at that link, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful
1: if you would subscribe. And in addition to subscribing, we'd also be really grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. It really does take just a minute. You go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll put you in the right place. We really appreciate knowing that you're getting some value out of the podcast. And by putting a rating and recommendation there, you're going to make it much easier for others to find the podcast.
0: And finally, we hope you will consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet, simply by going to leadinglearning.com share. But you can feel free to spread the word using words of your own choice or using whatever social network you use to connect with your peers, whether that be Facebook or LinkedIn or something other than Twitter.
1: So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.